Hello and welcome to the Gucci Podcast. For this episode, Willie Datira is joined by journalist, editor and publisher Kim Hastreiter and former model and advocate Bethan Hardison, who is also a member of the Gucci Global Equity Board and of Gucci's Global Corporate Executive Committee as Executive Advisor for Global Equity and Culture Engagement. These two women, who have contributed greatly to the fashion industry and who worked closely with Willie Smith, a legendary American designer of the 80s, are the focus of today's podcast. Hi everyone, this is Willie Datira, here again to host another episode of the Gucci Podcast. Today with my guests, we'll be looking back on what life and the fashion scene was like in New York City in the 1980s and discussing legendary Black American designer Willie Smith and his brand Willie Wear. There's currently an exhibition dedicated to his work and his archives. It will stay up through February 2021. It's sponsored by Gucci and it's at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum in New York. The exhibition is the first of its kind to celebrate his work. Willie Smith was regarded at the time of his death in 1987 during the AIDS pandemic as one of the most successful black designers of his time. According to Vogue.com, his career spent two decades. Willie Wear, the company, was launched in 1976 and it closed its doors in 1990. In a time spent shorter than a decade, Willie Smith, while he was still alive and designing for the brand, managed to create designs which conquered the American market. At the height of his success, his clothes were available in 500 stores and were stocked by all the major department stores like Macy's and Bloomingdale's. He was often the guest of daytime talk shows, but first and foremost, Willie Smith was an all-American designer. His clothes appealed to every man and woman and have been described as being made for everyday but truly unique. The DNA of Willie Ware was fueled by art and collaboration. The strategy, which is quite common now, was unusual in the 1980s. In 1983, Willie Smith collaborated for a show in New York City with the father of video art, Nam Jun Paik, when the Paris Pont Neuf was wrapped in fabric in 1985 by environmentalist artist Crystal, Willie Smith designed the uniform of the team working at the unveiling. Willie Wear, the company, through its collaboration, philosophy and approach, is often credited as creating the blueprint for what is called today streetwear. But his clothes were not inspired by Harlem or the Bronx, where hip-hop as a musical genre was being invented. Instead, Willie placed reality above fantasy in his design approach, and he had a moderate price point. His style could be better described as sportswear chic. New York fashion in the 80s was a great time for black designers. And from Patrick Kelly, who was the first black designer to show in Paris and the first American designer to join La Chambre Syndicale du Prêt-à-Porter de la Couture, to Willie Smith Financial Success, the industry was or seemed to have been quite supportive of its black talent. In this episode, we will revisit this era. We will talk about Bethan and Kim's relationship with Willie and how the two of them as young women made their mark on our current industry. Bethan with her tireless advocacy for black models and her mentorship of supermodels like Naomi Campbell, Iman and Kim with the creation of the iconic Paper Magazine. Here is the episode. Hi, Kim. Hi, Bevan. Hi. Hi, Willie. Yeah, so let's get into it. Um, would you mind introducing yourselves, please, guest? 
I'm Beth Ann Hardison. Uh, it's, it's not easy to introduce myself because I usually have a backup band that does that for me. But I, I'm going to do my best at it because I, I, tend, I tend to be a little too humble and I leave out most important things. But I'm um, born and raised in New York City, Brooklyn to be specific. I grew up in the garment business, I, uh, which means that I literally was working in on 40th Street between and uh, 7th Avenue and 8th Avenue. Uh, I literally worked in a custom button factory to get started in the garment business and went on to become um, working in the junior dresses and then eventually became discovered by the young man that we're going to talk about, which is Willie Smith. And then from there on, went on to work with Stephen Burroughs. And from there became, uh, you know, work with different different designers and all in the industry. Helped to start a model agency, which led me to start my model agency, which was Beth Ann Management Company. That was actually in Tribeca back in 1980. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about in, in a few minutes how, how that all got started. Thanks. I mean, through your friendship with Willie Smith, the designer. Yeah. And then I wind, wind up going on in my life and just having a, an opportunity to do many things in that space of time. And from there, I, um, I, I became conscientious about many things that were happening around me in my industry. And after that, I think it became a thing that, that literally, literally I've, I've, I've gotten known, be, become known for different things that I didn't even think I would do. It just it happened naturally more so. But from that point to this point, I've become known as a revolutionary. And, and that, 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 that's a very good introduction. That's a very good introduction. Thank you, Vifan. So, uh, Kim, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, you know, your story, your background. In the I am Kim Hastrider, and I am a New Yorker, but I grew up in New Jersey. My parents moved, eventually moved to Greenwich Village, where I lived, and I. When I went to art school, I studied art. I wanted to be an artist. I became an artist and I uh, studied with John Baldessari in LA where I moved and I went to school and he was my mentor. And I was all set to come back to New York to be go into the gallery system. And John was like my biggest supporter. He helped me a lot. And um, when I got to New York, all the men in my class got into galleries and none of the women did. And I just got angry with the art world. I, I was a punk. Rightfully so. I was very Rightfully punk so. and I got mad. And I ended up, I wasn't rich, so I didn't have, I had needed money. I had to get a job. I got this job selling clothes on Madison Avenue called Betsy Bunkinini. It was Betsy Johnson's first store. And uh, I used to do windows there. And I was trying to be an artist still, but I was getting more and more pissed off. And I was going to the clubs every night. And I met all these amazing people that were in art school, like Keith Haring, Kenny Sharp, John Sex, Club 57. It was this amazing club that was going on in the Mud Club. I got very involved in the nightlife scene. And um, I just decided not to go into the art world anymore. And I met Bill Cunningham on the street. He used to photograph me because I would dress crazy. Every day I would take the subway from Soho, where I lived, to Madison Avenue to sell clothes to these rich people, but I would dress crazy, so Bill loved it. 
And then he said, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be selling clothes. You should take this job at the Soho News, which is this crazy newspaper in Soho that had this style pages. And they were looking for a style editor. So he got me the job. All of a sudden, I didn't know anything about newspapers. I was an artist. But I, got, I needed a job, and it was better than selling clothes. So I took this job, and I ended up loving it. And I ended up bringing all my artist friends into the newspaper. I had to put together like eight pages every single week of style. Wow, that's, that's, that's yeah, quite a, a lot. Eight and so meanwhile, I ended up like Robert Maplethorpe shot fashion for me. I ended up using all the artists and no one had ever done this. This was like in 1979. So no one had ever done that before. And, um, you know, Keith Haring modeled for me. I mean, it was, I gave like Kenny Scharf did like a whole supplement for me. It was, I just in- integrated art into fashion that I was doing. And then it went out of business, the Soho News, because of a long story. And I, I was like, oh, my God, I can't work in a company because I'm too weird. And I said, I just wanted to start and started a newspaper. And we started at my kitchen table. I lived at that point in a loft in Lisbon Art Street in Tribeca, which was this very deserted place where eventually Willie Smith moved in as my downstairs neighbor. And um, that's where I started a paper, my kitchen table with a thousand dollars and um, did it for 32 years. And I'm no longer sold the company maybe three years ago, no longer, you know, doing it, no longer involved in paper. But I had a really, you know, crazy run and did a lot. I ended up really focusing on my art became like kind of a public art, like a platform. So I became kind of like a public artist. I always thought of paper as my platform where I would put in talent and I would find new photography. And, you know, it was kind of like a platform, public art. That's kind of And it I is. Think. I mean, the magazine is, sorry, the magazine is groundbreaking. I mean, yeah. uh, the way it represented New York culture and culture in general. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a great magazine and still. And now I'm actually and, uh, you know doing more things. I'm a curator. I'm curating a public art project for PBS, which is really exciting right now. And I'm also great. starting a public art newspaper. I'm starting a newspaper. Okay, oh, that's yeah. good. Looking forward to that. So you were involved in the in the in the. Were you both involved in the exhibition which is running at uh, Cooper Hewitt? I hope I'm pronouncing it right, which is the, the, the Gucci-sponsored uh, exhibition from uh, about Willie Smith and his archive. So you were both involved. And in, in what way? And do you want to talk a little bit? How you well, my friend Alex was – Alexandra Cunningham was the curator, and she's a friend of mine. And so she knew that I knew Willie and because Willie was a friend. And Willie actually helped me start paper because he was there, and he kind of, like, helped me, like, he, he knew me before I had paper and he helped me start it. He was my downstairs neighbor and a friend. And uh, so she came to me and we went through all my, you know, information. And then she had a list of people. She already knew Beth Ann was really important in Willie's life. And, uh, you know, I gave her some things because I had made little newspapers for Willie and we went through my archives. And uh, yes, so... Uh, you did some fold-out for him. Um, yeah, Willie, we did a paper. Willie, um, instead of a lookbook, like, you know, always the designers would have shows and then they would do lookbooks to send to all the press. Instead of a lookbook, Willie came to me and said, oh, I want you to do a paper, like a little paper, like a Willie Smith paper. So I did a, we did like a little poster because paper started out as a poster. That's what it was in the beginning. 
So we did, it was called the Willy Wear News, I believe. And uh, it was really fun. And Befan, what, what, uh, what, how, how was the process for you with, with the exhibition? That's well, I, I believe that uh, Alexandria uh, asked Kim, <laughs> and Kim told her, confirmed, confirmed uh, you, you have to speak to Befan. And of course, it just made my heart flutter to know that they were going to do, that she had interest to do this exhibit, and she basically had gotten approval. And she barely knew him. She never heard of him before. She heard his name three different times, and she thought, I got to know who this guy is. And that's what she pursued. And the, the, the most important thing was to be able to see that Wooly would have an exhibit. It means everything because it's so difficult for designers to have, to get the opportunity to be in a museum as a legacy for all that they've done in their life. For me, it was so important to, to see that he, too, besides besides Stephen, was now going to be recognized. And, you know, Stephen is still alive. Uh, Willie died so long ago. You know, it could be so easy to be forgotten. So many people are forgotten. So many people are not even remembered because there's not enough desire to know like we used to be back in the 60s and 70s. We were always so curious about everything. Now so much is put upon everyone. This is the attention span is quite different. So this was very important to me. And I just did everything. I came up with every name and helped her to to get in touch with people. Um, I'm so very proud of her passion to do this and that the museum and the Smithsonian agreed to do it. it. It means everything to me. I'm still very proud. And unfortunately we had the, you know, the shutdown, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because <laughs> it doesn't matter to me to some degree because he's, um, you know, people can go online. People are still contributing. People are so taken with this whole thing. It's, it's, it's telling you. And then now we've gotten so far that, you know, because of the, not because of the exhibition, but prior to that, there was a couple, a young couple uh, um, who are filmmakers who want to do a documentary on Willie Smith. And just the fact that the, that this actual exhibition came about helped this filmmaker who was a young man in college when he, in school, high school, when he knew about Willie Smith, that he is so determined to do this documentary. So it just makes me very proud of the fact that people, more people will know about him. Yeah, you've, you, you've set things in motion. Yes. That's good. I mean, that, that's, what you, that's what you and Kim are good at. You always kind of, throughout your career, just, you know, keep pushing things forward and, and, and it sets things in motion. I mean, while researching... His work online, for me, it was amazing to see how successful Willie Smith was and how great his work was. He wasn't just what you would say, you know, an African-American designer. He really was an all-American designer, you know, died at, at age 39, which is really sad. Household name. He was a household name. He was a household name. I mean, I looked online, the few, you know, the few things that are there when he goes on to talk shows and, you know, the shows that he did. I mean, he collaborated with Nam Jun Pate the you know the father of video video um art and um another great artist as well crystal java chef crystal i think most people call him by just the name crystal i mean it's 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 incredible that you know the, the the sort of like the the spectrum of people he collaborated with the the way his business was in terms of all american and you know the potential the success potential that you know as we say oftentimes, and I 
I do, and I know it's, it's the truth be told. Willie was an artist, you know, and it just so happens that he he used his he he leaned more towards fabric and textiles, but his 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 vision and his passion was broader. His uh, need to collaborate with other artists was important. His need to see that Kim, you know, could do this paper was something that was just natural to him. And he was right. And look how long it lasts and look how long it still lasts. You know, he, he had, he had this vision, he had the ability to work with different people. And, um, I was saying, uh, speaking to some students at Parsons uh, a couple of weeks ago for their graduation. And we talked about Willie Smith, which was another pride moment for me, but you know, Willie also even collaborated with Noel Furniture. You know, a lot of the designers were asked to do so. He was one of them. It was about 10 different designers at the time. But Willie's uh, ability to be able to see something in a person when they had talent was very special. And how he supported it was very special. And what he did with Christos was very special. So, you know, he's that, he, he had something that was so unique in that sense. And yes, you're right. It, he wasn't, like back then, we didn't think of people. We knew the black designer. We knew there were there were many, actually. But Willie was someone who you saw his clothes on the street all the time. You always saw people walking around in Willie wear. Everyone had Willie wear. That was what's so unique about a design. And not even, it wasn't even, um, like he was so, like a house, when I say a household name, someone who's into art and collaborates with artists usually isn't commercial type of person. But Willie would be in an airport in like wherever, and people would be asking him for autographs. Like he was famous he was like a household name he was his clothes were everywhere he would go to any city in america and he was famous he was on tv all the time so that was unusual in my mind to have someone who you know yeah and also it wasn't even like in those days it wasn't even like and correct me if you think i'm wrong beth ann because but to me it wasn't even like oh he's a black designer it wasn't about that he was a he was like a major American designer. Designer. He, he, he transcended that. That's for sure. Yeah, completely. And his business was super successful, right? And he was he was he was amazing. And he was he, like amazing. He did patterns with with uh, with Butterick and simplicity. You know that that it, it, they came to him because he who would do that? You have to want to go to someone just like it would be now if you have a lot of followers on the internet, then then a company wants to go to you because you have a you have a market. It was the same thing that happened with Willie back then. He had a market that was so broad that a, a pattern company wanted him to do pattern designs for them for, for people to reproduce the work yes. at home, and so people did, and, and, and that was and that was successful. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's, and he was, he was, he was something else. You know, I, I used to go to the bank, you know, he was, he was my neighbor and I, he li- lived in Tribeca at a certain point and I was the treasurer of my, it was like a little funky co-op like DIY. And I used to take the money, the pay, the maintenance checks to the bank and all of the bank tellers were these ladies and they all would be like, oh, Willie Smith, he lives in your bill. Because they would look at his check and they'd all ask me questions. What's he like? What's he Willie like? Have, do you know him? I mean, people like he was he was famous. Yeah. And the fact of it, he was really a he was not he was a and, and besides the fact or not besides the fact, let's say, in fact, he was a very good looking boy. Yeah. 
He was very good looking, but he his manners were extraordinary. I mean, he really, how between him, and I always say they were my bookends between him and Stephen Burroughs, they both were raised very well by their grandmothers my and my grandmother. And all our three, our grandmothers were all scorpions. And so we used to laugh about our grandmothers. But really, <laughs> I don't mean scorpions that crawl, but I mean scorpions in astrologically. The, the, the interesting thing about Willie is that his manners and his sense of um, understanding of, would you say, good grooming. He would go to dinner or go to lunch. He would always write a note to the person he went to lunch with. He would pick up little gifts for an editor that he thought would, and he'd never to buy them, all because he really thought this would look good on her. And he, his, 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 his manners and his uh, understanding of how to be was something that you couldn't emulate easily. You had to have had that in your soul. You know, he was... He was a very unique human being, and and he's well missed. But th- the great thing about it now is that he's so with us, and it's so cool, <laughs> right? Isn't it yeah, amazing? Yeah, this, Especially when, when you know, to talk about the the film, uh, Kim, the film that he did for um, that with Max Verdugo, with Max Verdugo. My goodness, and that what brought us all back to the the, the height of this moment was when they we did it when we showed it at was was at Parsons. Yes, that um, Mark Bozak, who used to work with him in communications back at Willie Ware, had this footage still of the film that was shown at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York. Instead of doing a, he didn't want to do a fashion show. Yeah, he decided to do a film, and they went to Africa, and he was actually in the film. It was, and it was all, it was all with no, no, no. Uh, what's the word, Spade? Um, no, I can't think of it. I, it was it was silent. <laughs> I couldn't get it. No sound. It was silent. It was it, it just it and, and, and when and people saw the film just of what we showed it three years ago or so, um young a lot of young people came. They had never heard of Willie. They were so impressed and there's some filmmakers there that I had invited and they said the film should have been a, a film that could have actually came out today and would have been still on time. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was special. I mean, Willie was so collaborative. You know, he met an artist. I remember he had Ann Magnuson perform at one of his shows. He he would meet like an artist in a club, and then all of a sudden, that artist would be like doing something for his next fashion show or whatever. Even like young artists, he had you know his Christos and the Armand and the really famous yeah, artists. Big artists would, and- yeah, but he would also he was always like you know finding new artists to collaborate with in crazy ways in a way I was one of those people like he met me from he didn't know me from Adam I wasn't famous I was just trying to do this you know crazy like zine in my house and he loved it and he he even hired me one time to style his shows because I used to make these clothes for myself and he loved what I was wearing and then he had me do it in his shows because I used to make crazy skirts and sneakers to match I would make where so it sounds like New York in 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 at that time in the eighties was very sort of like a creative hub. So all of you guys were living in 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 um, downtown in Tribeca. downtown yeah uh, downtown. I met that man from Willie. Willie introduced us, and I remember the night because Willie in those days used to have a limousine, a stretch limousine. Okay, that was in the days when you were successful. You had stretch limousines and a driver. Now, Lispenard Street, where I lived, was it was an artist building. It was not nobody lived. No rich people or uptown people really lived there. We lived there. with rats. Willie we lived with the rats. Rats running. <laughs> That's it. That was, that was before gentrification. 
every morning in front of our rat infested building would be Willie's limousine, you know, and Willie and his partner, Lori, who was also kind of like an art, uh, what would you call her? Like an art supporter. Right. I mean, and they, they were very involved in Brooklyn Academy of Music in the dance world with Pina Bausch and like all the avant-garde, very avant-garde like dance movement. And they would always be going, they were on the board and they would always be going to these crazy performances in Brooklyn. And Willie would invite me always. And one night he invited me and he invited Beth Ann and we shared, we shared the limousine to Brooklyn. And that's how I met Beth Ann. Willie introduced me and Will, Beth Ann, was like Willie's sister. I mean, Beth Ann was like Willie's, you know, everything to him. She was everything to him, really. Like sister, right? Beth Ann, kind of. Beth Ann, did you did you ever model for him? Yes, yes. That's I became uh, that the muse. You had started to that's model. How, that's I mean, how you I were started. Yeah. That's how I actually I mean between he and Bernie Oza, who, you know, we all know from the past, but nobody knows now, <laughs> who worked at Federated. Uh, it was Willie who actually asked me to to be his model, and I worked in a company already. I had a job, but the, my my Jewish family, you know, they just basically was so supportive of me, and they said, "Oh no, you have to work with him." And at that time, he was he was with he was with his company Digits um, before he started his own brand. And I I said, "Okay, I, you know, what would I have to do?" He just needed me sometimes to. To come to, a, he had appearances. A lot of designers then didn't even have appearances. As Kim says, he was really renowned in a lot of ways. And so he would have appearances at different places. He needed me for that. And then as I did these different things, and I, I lost my job because I was just too busy being young. Um, and he said, don't worry, uh, uh, you can, you, you'll work with me. I'll, you can be my personal assistant. And then I, then I would be his personal assistant. And then I still he always related to me when it came to clothes because the reason why he discovered me is because he would see me on the streets and he kept wondering and asking everyone, did you know who this girl was? He thought I was a designer. He loved my style. And eventually some young person knew who, who I was and said, oh, I think I know who it is. And he used to go around from the, from the buying offices to the different design houses. And she came to me with a note from him. And I went and met him and his friend, Harriet Selwyn, at the... Um, Club, uh, yeah, Breakfast 1407 on Broadway, and uh, and we we he that's when he introduced himself and asked me would I be his muse. In the end, yes, uh, you know, to the point up to the very point, I always helped Willie with all his shows, all his ideas, all of the all of the the, the models he used. Yes, um, but even when I started my own model agency in 1984, like Kim started Paper in 1984. Uh, really use my models as well, still, you know, in total support of me. Imagine we started out in the late 60s and we still were rolling in the 80s, you know. Um, yeah, and so we, we, we always stayed very, very close. Uh, we were, yeah, we were everything. So you supported it. So, so, so once you stopped modeling, started your agency, you were kind of working in collaboration with Kim and Paper Magazine. Yes, well, I would only use Beth Ann models in paper, period. That's the only okay. model agency I worked with. Because probably and no one you, else. And, and Nobody else. Kim? Nobody else. I mean, because. <laughs> Nobody else wanted to. Nobody understood. No, no one else had the vision. <laughs> That's it. That's it. People didn't have the vision. 
so both of you were sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the representation of, you know, young females working in New York City, getting into businesses that are generally dominated by guys. What, what was it like for you, um, uh, Kim, like starting a magazine in, in you know? In well, you know, I had a partner who was a guy, but, you know, I, you know, I, I mean, it's still today. I mean, it's not, it didn't change, you know, like, so if you have a partner who's a guy and you meet with a bank, all they do is look at the guy and talk to the guy. It doesn't matter if he doesn't know what, how much money's in the bank and the girl does all the work. They look at the guy. It's just like always, it was like that, but you know. I just wanted the freedom to do what I wanted to do. I didn't, I could not work for a company. I just didn't work out for me. I can't work for other people. I'm too like control freaky. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting for me. I grew up with the idea that it's a woman's business. Fashion is a woman's business. I don't care how male dominated it becomes. I want every woman out there that's in our industry to remember it is our business do not take your foot off the clutch. It is our business. Even if they look like they're running it, we're running it. And I saw so many female designers that were so well known from Claire McArdle to Pauline Trigere to Anne Klein to Donna, you know, to, to Liz Claiborne. There's so much women to me. I never even thought anything different. And being a, a black kid from Brooklyn and female and everybody giving me support to do and, and begging me to do. I just always thought it was easy to do, except for I was scared to do what I was about to do because I'd never had my own business before. And I was getting ready to start a model agency that people pushed me to do it. And then I'm not only am I a, a black person doing it, and nobody, I mean, you know, you had people like Grace, Mac, Grace Del Marco and, and, and people before me, but that was from a different era and they were doing just specifically black talent. I'm here to represent white talent with black talent with, you know, with Asian talent, Latin talent. And I'm also doing it from a place of, you know, having um, white supporters who came in and put money behind my little business. They were young too, but they did find the money. The point for me was just that I also, not only being black, I had long dreads. So there I go. I have long dreads. (laughs) And when I go out to speak, young um, people would say, how do you do it? You're black and you have dreads and, you know, don't you? But once again, I was known already. I was in the business that was creative um, and I was allowed and it was my own company. And if you, if you, you put your foot in the right place and you, you keep it going, you can, you can win. You can win. I guess it's the luck of the draw. I I really, I really like the fact that for you, you look at it from, from a woman's perspective instead of saying, you know, the fashion industry woman's way is about women and I'm a woman in that industry which often doesn't happen no I mean like you said for a lot of women they kind of feel men run things and gay men also you know have more say about the industry than 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 black women for example in your case uh so that I think I think that mindset really must have helped you I mean that that's that's a great way of thinking it isn't just advocating for you know, uh, uh, diversity, but it's also for, you know, women in the industry as well to have your say and kind of shape things from a, a, a woman's perspective. Um, Kim, for you, Paper Magazine, I mean, it, it was about culture. It's It's been diverse from the get-go. Um, what, what, was, what was kind of like your drive? Was it to sort of, you know, well, get was- into the New York scene? No, it was like, you know, I, I'm not a journalist. I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm like kind of a cultural uh, anthropologist. But I 
I just felt like, you know, I hate a press release. Forget it. You know what I mean? Don't tell me something from a press release. I, I want, if I'm writing about a, a weird genre of a movies and I've never, I don't, I don't live it, then I shouldn't be writing about it. So we, our, our whole philosophy was that we would, we would write about, we would have people within like the culture writing about the culture that they were living and part of. So if it was like a weird, you know, I had like, like Africa Bambata wrote, did my DJ column or like Futura 2000 did my technology column, the artist. And so we would rather teach people how to write if they were experts in certain genre of film or whatever, then get someone who didn't know that genre and have, give them a press release and tell them to write about it. So that was our initial philosophy of paper is that it was written by insiders, people who were living it, who were doing it. So it was like the real deal. It was really authentic. And the other part was that it was about culture. So, and it was our greatest strength and our greatest weakness because as a business, no one knew where to place us. So like, you know, we couldn't get ads because we weren't a fashion magazine or we weren't a music magazine or we weren't, you know, an art magazine because we were about culture. We were about all of it, how it all connected to each other. You know, nothing I love more than collaborating music and art and fashion and put it all together. I was very inspired by Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood in the very early days, what they were doing because they were pushing, mushing it all together. Yeah, I mean, do you want to? I mean, Kim, you used to have your your um, your Kim notes with Paper Magazine, and uh, by fan, you of you still involved in the industry now, taking on a new new responsibilities with Gucci. It was just to just to kind of um, conclude on maybe your thoughts and anything you want to share about the current industry any advice maybe you want to give people. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, when you were talking about the influence of. Uh, art collaboration and all. I feel like that with Gucci. It's so funny. You see, when when St when Kim was speaking like that, it, it was exactly. And when she was everything she was saying, I started thinking to myself. I said, Yeah, but that's just like Gucci. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I, what Alessandro does. They're also cultural anthropologists in a way. That's it. Exactly. No, it's exactly that. Exactly. They're very much in support of illustrators, artists. Uh, but this is how we met. I mean, you, they got you, me to do you really? the I mean, Gucci memes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, that's how that's how I started getting involved with with with, with Gucci. That's um, right. So it was as a, as a, as a collaboration. Kim and, is and, right um, on point on that. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, and yeah, um, they, they're very supportive in that sense and being part of the culture and and taking that and having them to photograph or to connect or and to and the, the type of model that one uses is not necessarily the model that everyone expects that we have always used. It's so beautiful. It's usually the how Alessandro sees beauty is so different than how designers and the designers that are current designers and designers of the past saw beauty. His, his eye and beauty is so completely different. So it becomes so relative to the moment in time in advance of the moment of time. I'm, I'm, I'm very, to, just to speak on it right now, our industry is going through a, a transformation because of the industry of fashion speaking specifically is going through a transformation because of the, um, the, Black Lives Matter movement, where the um, social injustice and social racial racial injustice has spilled over a bit into our industry, so it's waking a lot of brands and a lot of communications, not just brands, but even people who have maybe felt they weren't being put upon or noticed or didn't get a job or wanted to be, 
so it's giving an opportunity for conversations to happen that had never happened besides me, you know, knocking people over the head. Um, yep. <laughs> totally. You know, besides that, that, that switch in my hand, but it's a broad conversation now it's happening. So that's what's happening in the industry. I always say to people, and this is very important, and most people don't want to hear it because they just can't believe it. Our industry is a tiny industry. And all the people who have gotten the light from it or looked at it believe that they can fit into it. The tube is very narrow. It is not the auto industry. It's a tiny industry. And so everyone won't be able to fit in. And because of popular culture, because of it being glamorized fashion, no matter how much it seems like it's a big industry, it isn't. So it cannot fulfill all the jobs that all the people want to have. But for those who are meant to have them and the shift of the industry of trying to see how they can start to be more inclusive, that is definitely going to happen. That is happening. I know with the company Gucci, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of working with a, a, um, a company that had already had their feet on the ground in this in this area way before the, 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 the scandal of the Bacala sweater or way before this this movement. They had already had you know had already been embracing um the cultures and also integrating themselves in other areas and supporting places and students and and designers who really young people who wanted to be in design so i'm very proud of that and i'm very proud of their passion and their continuance in it um i i really do know that the industry is going to shift a bit but i just want to tell the world don't be mad if you can't get in there's much more to do in the world than just being a designer there's many more things to be in the world than being who you don't seem to fit. I'm telling you, if you leave your light on long enough, you'll come up with another idea. So this was a great conversation. Um, so thank you, Befan. Thank you, Kim, for being part of this conversation about New York in the 80s, Willie Smith, and uh, and uh, the, the exhibition sponsored by Gucci. Um, hopefully people get a chance to see it um, with the lockdown being lifted. Um, yeah, and thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode dedicated to designer Willie Smith, featuring special guests Bethann Hardison and Kim Hastreiter, who were interviewed by Willie Detera. Find out more about the Gucci-sponsored exhibition of Willie Smith's work in the episode's notes.